Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 14 of the No Look Pass podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, aka my mom's favorite son, who is going to lose his fantasy football final. I have my co-host with me today, Andy Flynn. Flynn, what was good? You know, since we around here at the No Look Pass podcast decided to feature the Oklahoma City Thunder this week, I feel it's only proper that I shout out Ennis Tanner and his mustache. Yeah, we're 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 going to get into some of the mustache uh, shenanigans that are going on in OKC. But first, I'm going to be that that guy that that tells my fantasy football story to everybody, even though they don't care. So so listen, what's going to happen in my fantasy football finals to me right now, Andy Flynn? So I had the first place team. I went ten and three in the middle of the season. I traded for Demarco Murray because I thought it was like a buy low candidate. So I, so I trade Carlos Williams and Allen Robinson for DeMarco Murray. DeMarco Murray does Ugh. nothing for me the whole season. He does nothing for me, so I drop his ass. I'm like, you're, you're a scrub. I hate you. The guy that I'm facing in the finals is the guy I traded Allen Robinson and Carlos Williams to. He picks up DeMarco Murray this week, starts him in week 17, and is going to beat me with DeMarco Murray, Carlos Williams, and Allen Robinson all on his roster, which I gave all of them to him, and now I'm going to lose. I deserve it. I deserve it for my stupidity. I could have won, but I didn't. So we are going to, with that, we're going to get into episode 14 a little bit. We are going to start, as usual, with the While You Were Watching TNT segment, and we're going to get into a couple of things that we want to discuss, a little bit of Eastern Conference and a little bit of Western Conference. We want to know if anybody's going to challenge the Cavs in the East and how in the world can the San Antonio Spurs still be underrated. But as usual, we were going to start while you were watching TNT. We were watching the Oklahoma City Thunder and the OKC Thunder have broken the No Look Fast podcast curse by going 3-0. and We had a few uh, under 500 teams during the week. So the OKC Thunder went at home against Milwaukee, which they put up 131, and then they beat Phoenix at home, took care of business, and finished their undefeated week going to Charlotte. Um, Andy Flynn, how many OKC Thunder games did you watch? Well, luckily I caught the Milwaukee game, and I also – caught the, the Phoenix game. Okay, so you didn't catch the Charlotte. I watched all the Charlotte games, so so we got them all covered here. Um, I was surprised to find out for the first time in forever Andy Flynn picked the team and they did not play the Orlando Magic. I just think maybe he didn't want to see what would happen at the OKC Thunder <laughs> and the Orlando Magic face-off, so maybe he just uh, didn't want to do that. Andy Flynn, what were your impressions of the OKC Thunder here? You know, and let me defend my stance on the Magic. It's funny how that keeps working out because I'm never even looking ahead, and maybe I should be. Or, you know, and I would have gotten it right this week. Although I don't want to see the Magic play the Cavs ever because they get killed. It's it's not even funny. That's actually kind of what made me think of that topic for later. But anywho, the the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I'm quietly been like watching the Thunder pretty much as much as I watch the Magic. They're just one of those teams that are in my rotation for very obvious yeah, reasons. Yeah, like your they are my replacement team down the stretch because my team doesn't make the playoffs. But, I mean, I think the one biggest thing for OKC is the way the, the big guys have come together. And I'm not talking about Serge, I shoot threes, Ibaka. I'm talking about Steven Adams. And I'm talking about Ennis Canner, you know, two of the nicest mustaches in the league. Ennis Canner goes from, like, looking like he just got done playing college basketball, like, last year. So when he grows a mustache, he looks like some like old Eastern Europe mobster. Like he's yeah, scary looking with that mustache. Is that he, 
Yeah, he didn't play any college basketball because he he came over from, like, Turkey, wherever he's from, and then he was academically ineligible. His whole year at Kentucky, he was supposed to be one of those Coach Cal one-and-done guys that he just, like, trots out an all-star team, and then they all leave, and then he just gets a whole bunch of new all-stars. And his cancer was supposed to be one of those guys, and then he just couldn't play because, I don't know, I guess when you don't speak English, you probably can't go to an American university and do well. Uh, that's but, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, guessing here. That, that's the biggest thing for me, I think, is, is then – you know, the the increased consistent play of big guys in OKC, because Duran and Westbrook, I mean, let's face it, haven't been used to this. They've, you know, there's been other guys there, um, you know, including Ibaka, who Ibaka to me has kind of just become less and less of a big guy. He still blocks shots. A lot of that's off-help defense because he's athletic and long, but he's he just doesn't provide a lot of things that, you know, you – you'd want from, I mean, I understand the stretch position with the power forward and shooting the basketball more, but I just like, Tanner to me has been perfect for this team. Now you're talking to a guy who's averaging 12 points and eight rebounds, actually a little under both of those marks, but his PER is almost 25. Like, and if you watch the games, even when he's not scoring a ton, like he's just there, you know, tipping the ball back out, keeping possessions alive. And it's, it's a crutch for guys like Westbrook and Durant, I think, to have a big guy you can just dump the ball down to once in a while and he can get buckets. You don't get that with Serge. And unfortunately for Steven Adams, he's, you know, your hustle player, your defensive player, so you don't really get that. Although I will say Steven Adams has been getting a little better on offense this season. Not quite there yet. Yeah, I, I do want to shout out the big guys. Yeah, you know, what's funny is the way you described Ennis Cantor would be the way that historically, and even when I was watching him, still I kind of described Serge Ibaka, aside from the, the last part where you're talking about being able to dump the ball into him and get a bucket. But, you know, when you're talking about a guy that's just there, guy, you know, keeping plays alive, the thing I love about Serge Ibaka is I feel like he is the perfect piece to put with um, Durant and Westbrook. You know, he doesn't need the ball, he doesn't need the score, but he, he has a solid offensive game in the sense where he does one thing very well. So he hits that mid-range elbow, 18, 20-footer, and then he can stretch out to the three if you need him to. But he does that, and he just stands in that pocket, sets the screen, and he just waits for his turn. So when you have that kind of guy, and then on the defensive end, he's just going to go all out, give you all his effort, even though I have always felt that Serge Ibaka is a little bit of an overrated defender just because I think anybody that blocks as many shots as he does, I think there's this thing in the league where we think if you block shots, you're automatically a great defender. I'm not sure if that's true. Yeah, I mean, I think Hassan Whiteside is the same way. Hassan Whiteside is just the guy that just gobbles up blocks, and I think he takes pride in blocking shots, but I'm not sure he takes pride in playing defense. And I think they're two different things, and I don't think enough people recognize that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Serge Ibaka. I love this team. I mean, I think this team. We're going to get into the elephant in the room question, which is basically how far can they go? And so, but I've noticed a few things. You know me, I noticed a few things off the floor, kind of. The first thing I noticed is, so Cameron Payne, who, uh, congratulations, Cameron Payne, you're another dude. Apparently, I don't uh, study college basketball enough because I don't know any of these dudes. I didn't even know who you were until I saw you this week. Cameron Payne, <laughs> I just want to confirm, so you're you're an Orlando Magic fan. Are we sure that Cameron Payne and Alfred Payton have ever been seen in the same room at the same time? Because those dudes are like twins. They got the same hair. They got, like, the same, like, small man game going, so... I'm just not sure if they're not the same person. I think your man Alfred Payton might just be cheating on you, like going back and forth. You know, you're like the wife, yeah. and then OKC is like the mistress. It's, it's cool. It's cool bench. with the Thunder. It's cool with the Thunder, though. We can. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's your closet team because your point guard plays on both teams. So I mean, I understand it. So the one thing I did notice both on the guys. court, though. Yeah, the one thing I did notice on the court is the biggest advantage, obviously for the OKC Thunder, is that you have two of the top, you know, five to six players in the league in KD and Westbrook. 
So I really don't see any excuse as a coach in Billy Donovan to not have one of those guys on the floor all 48 minutes. You know, in the second quarter, he goes to all bench guys. He doesn't even have Serge Ibaka in the game. So it just doesn't make sense to me that why Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook is not on the floor the entire game. How do you, like, separate those guys and just have a, a time where both of those guys are sitting on the bench? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or notice that at all. I do. Actually, I, I kind of, I mean, and this hasn't happened a lot so far, you know, this year with this show, but in, in the past we've had these. I, I kind of completely disagree with that. I think that. Oh, really? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, if I'm trying to get inside Billy Donovan's head and, no, I haven't forgiven you for the time you were supposed to come to Orlando and then you didn't do it, although we did get standing on the other deal. I, I think if you know if you're inside his head and you're thinking about it for a second, what's better than having Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on the floor as much as possible together? I understand what you're saying, kind of spread it out. It's almost like you know the age-old question of like quantity or quality in a sense, because do you want to spread them out enough so you have either Westbrook or Durant the entire game, or do you want to maximize the time you have the two of them playing together? And I think for me, it's – it's obviously, you know, you're selling your team short a little bit by not having one of them on the floor, but that reward when they're both on the floor is just so high because you can tell as much as the media has tried to split these guys apart the past few years, these two love playing together, and they're good at playing together. I mean, there was a, a play in the Phoenix game where Westbrook kind of comes up with a steal, almost runs into his own teammate at half court, and then dives ahead and slaps the ball to KD, who's already up the floor. And, it, you know, it's just these things I, I just – I personally love seeing the two play together so much that I feel like my coaching approach would be the exact same. Yeah, see, I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I, I do I agree in the sense that I, I really think that since they've played together so long now, I mean, what's it been, uh, four years maybe since they've been together? It might be longer than that, actually. But, it, you know, they've been together so long, they really are starting to find that happy medium, whereas it used to be a lot where you see, of course, you've seen this with all superstars, when two superstars get get together. And this is a little different because both of these guys were budding superstars when they started to get together. Neither one of them was really a superstar at the time that they combined. So you sort of saw, like, in the past where it was like, okay, it's your turn, Russ. Okay, you take the ball, and then next possession, I'll take the ball, and then, you know, we'll flip a coin, see who gets it next possession, that kind of thing. Now they they play more together. It's sort of like okay, Russ is going to go off this you know the pick and roll, and then he's going to hit KD with the diagonal pass, and then KD is going to have the defense off bounds and do whatever he wants. And then next play we might do something different, you know. So it, it, they really have found a happy medium. I just think when you have those two guys, you know, why in the second in the beginning of the second quarter are both of those guys resting? You know, like those are both young guys. Like Russell Westbrook can play forty minutes. You know, there's no reason why he can't. So why have a, a second unit? Because uh, in the Charlotte game, they were up by like 15, and then the second quarter started. There was no Russell Westbrook, no uh, Kevin Durant, and all of a sudden the Hornets were within seven in like two minutes because their first unit is on the floor. Like you know, most I think Kemba was on the floor while it happened. And if you don't have KD Westbrook or even Serge Ibaka on the floor, you have a you know an Ennis Cantor led you know uh, OKC five. They're going to get back in the game, and that's going to happen all the time to you. And then those two guys come back in the game, and they have to do their work all over again. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I think I think maximize the time. Yeah, I think what you're saying though is like it it ends up really probably. And no, I I don't think that you're wrong by any means. I think that you know maybe some nights you might be wrong, but maybe some nights you're absolutely right because I believe that it is a game-by-game situation. You can't just say, well, hey, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it every game, and I'm going to do it that way. And if Billy Donovan's doing it, it's ultimately going to kill him. Yeah, I think you need to, you know, if 
a team starting to go on a run in that slow, because that is what it is, is their basketball slows down when you have, like, uh, Stephen Ad- or not Stephen Adams, uh, Ennis Kander being your focal point, and you got guys like Cameron Payne and uh, Anthony Morrow in there getting minutes. De- and actually, Deion Waiters, I got to say, Deion Waiters has been playing pretty good basketball this year. It's kind of odd to say. I, I don't want to admit it, but it's true. They do. They, they yeah. play a slow brand of basketball that way without Westbrook and Durant, and that does allow the team to get into it. So it, it is it is a night by night thing, I think. And I don't know. Whatever works, as long as I mean, being what twenty four and ten isn't half bad. You're third place in the West. Uh, you're behind a couple yeah. of steam engines. Biscuit. Uh, what is it? A gravy train with biscuit wheels. That's the OKC Thunder. That's pretty much the Spurs at this point too. So I, I think to be in third place is, is pretty solid. Yeah, doing something right. Though I do have to say, I I agree. Dion is definitely st- playing much better basketball. But there are moments where you, I just appreciate Dion Waiters because he's just always going to be Dion Waiters, no matter what you do, no matter how much he tries to like tame himself and bring himself in. There's just always going to be, be a possession where he just dribbles the ball, brings it up the floor, and then makes about two dribbles in and just takes a twenty footer because that's just who he is. He just can't help it, and then. It, Maybe after he does it, he just sort of looks at KD and Westbrook, and they're like, "Dude, like, how many times do we have to talk about this?" And he's just like, "I know, I know. I just, I just can't help it. Sometimes you relapse, you know, like any addict. Sometimes you, he just, he's addicted to twenty footers, and, and that's just beyond waiters." I also, you, you mentioned Anthony Morrow. I think he's very underused on this team. Anthony Morrow is one of my favorite players, a former Net. Uh, I really appreciated his time with the Nets. Guy's just a knockdown shooter, and I just don't see how he he isn't utilized more because. Granted, he is sort of a defensive liability, but then again, so is the Waiters. So, I mean, I think when you have that crunch time lineup, why I don't understand why you have Deion Waiters over Anthony Morrow other than reputation. You know, other than people think Deion Waiters is a better player because I think Morrow is a better fit for this team because he's a guy that you have to defend at the three-point line. And that gives KD and Westbrook so much space, especially in crunch time when, the you know, it becomes half court and it slows down a little bit. Yeah, I would like to see a little bit of Morrow. We saw, I'm not sure how many minutes he actually logged, but in the Phoenix game, it felt like there was like a couple of good stretches where I saw a lot of Anthony Morrow. It, I just really remember it because of some of the things he was doing. Actually, I saw him get a layup or like an eight-footer. I haven't seen that in years. So that was, you know, <laughs> kind of unique in itself. Yeah, the, the uh, one stat that, that I found that I wanted to point out, which is historically has been the story of uh, Durant and Westbrook, and I think it still is, is the reason why they work together so well is sort of because um, KD is so efficient and Russell Westbrook can be inefficient at times. He really needs the ball out. He needs to get a lot of shots up in order to get his points. So um, against Charlotte, Kevin Durant had 29 points on 13 shots, and Russell Westbrook had 16 points on 15 shots, which is a little unfair because it doesn't really tell the whole story, but I think it's sort of a microcosm of, why they work so well because they are sort of that yin and yang in the sense of how they score and how they get their points. And I really think it helps them work together. And my last thing was actually also stat-based, and I'm glad you reminded me. It's, it's really a two-part thing. As I look through the individual leaders for offense and defensive stats, I was doing this earlier, I noticed one theme really is, and you can say this about other teams too, but we're talking about the Thunder, so I'll point them out. These all show you the top fives for like every category. In the Thunder, they're just all over the place on this. I mean, points, you have Westbrook and Durant, and we want to talk about a cool medium between these two. Durant's getting 26.6 points per game, while Westbrook gets 25.6. That's good for third and fifth in the league. Over here, you go to the assist column. you got Westbrook as third. You go to the field goal percentage, and you have Ennis Tanner as fourth. Uh, Defensive rebounds is the only one they don't show up in. Blocks, uh, Serge is third. 
and uh, steals what Russell Westbrook's number one. So, I mean, I just – I think to see something like that from a team obviously, you know, means you're doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, yeah, that's very eye-opening. You're right. They're all over the place there. All right, so time for our elephant in the room question. Sort of a two-parter. How, how far can this OKC Thunder team go? Are they a title contender, essentially? And how far must they go to keep Kevin Durant? Because the Kevin Durant free agency is sort of like is the elephant in the room. It's just looming over this team, even though they are doing so well. So what are, what's your answers to that? How far do they, can they go and how far must they go? Um, I, I absolutely positively think that they're a contender. I feel like, you know, what we've been seeing right now, and I think there's something like 8-2 and two over the last 10 games with like a four-game winning streak, this team is, is kind of hitting its stride a little bit, and I, I feel like that's that's pretty dangerous. And obviously it's come at a time where Curry's missing some games. Even if they finish third in the West where they sit right now, I think they're definitely a contender. And, I, I mean, I think they obviously need to have some playoff success. I feel like if they got into the playoffs and got knocked out of the first round, you might be really sketchy about whether or not Kevin Durant stays. But I, I have a good feeling about Durant. I have a better feeling than I had about LeBron, and, and I think both times. And I, I think he'll stay. <laughs> and I, I think him yeah. and Westbrook have, a, you know, I think they have like a bond, a partnership. I think he really legitimately loves the city, and I, I hope he stays. I think he will. Yeah, so I feel like if Kevin Durant leaves OKC, he's just going to look back and, and just channel his inner Optimus Prime and just say, You've made a grave mistake. Yeah, I think OKC is the place for him. I mean, I, I agree. I think they are a title contender. I think if if they pass the first round, I, I agree with you. I think that's that's sort of the stipulation because if they pass the first round, theoretically they're going to either lose to San Antonio or Golden State. And both of those teams are, you know, the best teams, the, the two best teams in the league, let's face it. OKC and San Antonio are the two best teams in the league. So if they lose to one of those teams, I think that Kevin Durant will stay. If they end up losing, let's say, you know, in the first round against, uh, I don't know, the Dallas Mavericks, then then I think we might have a problem. But if they take the San Antonio Spurs or the Golden State Warriors to, let's say, six games, I think you're going to see Kevin Durant stay in OKC. So I, I definitely agree. Um, but we are going to move on from the OKC Thunder and Kevin Durant. And Andy wanted to talk about this, presumably because the Cavaliers have been uh, – I'm not going to say the word I want to say, but it starts with an S, rhymes with hitting uh, all over his Orlando Magic. And so I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are clearly the best team in the East. And even though we have this loaded Eastern Conference all of a sudden where we have a lot of good teams, but they're sort of – uh, let's say anywhere from five to eight games over 500, so not too impressive. Can anybody challenge the Cleveland Cavaliers in the East is ultimately the question at hand when it comes down to it because we have a lot of good teams, but maybe we don't really have any legitimate contenders in the East. So, Andy Flint, you want to talk about this? Can anybody challenge the Cleveland Cavaliers? You know, it is the whoopings they've been putting on Orlando because there's been like three of them. The smallest was like by 13 points. The other two were by like 900 each. I just feel like because, you know, I, we talked about the Magic being a playoff team last year or last week, and they sit in seventh place right now. But those teams, I think it's, it's just untouchable. And I wanted to talk about how somebody could, but the more I thought about it and the more I wrestled with it, I, I, I don't think so at all. I think if the Cavaliers are healthy, because they're kind of just starting to hit their stride too with Kyrie back, I think this team is eventually going to basically just decimate anybody in the East. Oh wow, we're we're having an old an old school uh, old school Santos Flint here because I disagree. I I don't think okay. 
that the Cleveland Cavaliers are this juggernaut. I mean, I don't really – if you told me, like, the Cleveland Cavaliers are the field, I feel like I would take the field just because I don't feel that the Cleveland Cavaliers have showed us that they are the juggernaut that they were even last year. You know, we have the Golden State Warriors and we have the San Antonio Spurs, and then I think the Cavs are, like, the second tier maybe, like – but they're a, a legitimate place below. And I would actually even put the OKC Thunder over them potentially. And I do I think, like, when you have it. When you have a team like Chicago, like they have a lot of teams that really know them well. Like when you get your Chicago's, your Indiana's, and your Miami's, you know those teams are teams that actually know the Cleveland Cavaliers. They've played against LeBron James-led teams, and they sort of like know their personnel and kind of know what to do with them. And when you if you get them at a weak spot where they're not as strong, and Kyrie's been slow to come back, so you know I really think as you get to the playoffs, you know I don't know how healthy LeBron is going to be, considering he's really had to carry the team through 30 games so far. So I think the later you get into the season, the LeBron health thing I think sort of comes into play, and I really think that they will they will find themselves down two one, maybe three two, at some point in in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I really believe that at this point, if if things don't change, because I think a lot of these teams are sort of finding themselves because you have a lot of teams that have new personnel, and let's just say like a team like the Bulls, you know, trying to work in rows and everything. But they, they know Cleveland. They have Cleveland's number, I think we've seen in the past, where, you know, LeBron-led teams don't always just cruise through the, the playoffs. So I really don't think – I think they are legitimate challenges. I, do I still think the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to win the East? Probably. But I don't think it's going to be as easy. I don't think they're going to decimate. Well, let me ask you. Enemies. Let me ask you then. So here, here's here's my real question then. If you do, who who is your team? Like what? I mean, you were talking about the Bulls a lot, and they're like, what team do you think? If you had to pick a team right now, shout out to Cannon. What team do you think has the best shot to beat the Cavs? Oh, that's that. It, it, that's really it's really tough. That's where I got stuck. I couldn't figure out what team I would pick yeah. to beat them, and that that's ultimately where I drew yeah, my I would, line. I would in be the stuck. Same. I would be stuck between Chicago because I I still believe in that personnel and that team and like their players. But the, the the team that's the most random team to me that I really just have no idea their ceiling and their floor is just so weird to me is the Miami Heat because the Miami Heat could very I could very you you want to tell me the Miami Heat beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in a in a seven game series I would completely buy it you want to tell me they get swept and or you want to tell me they don't even make the playoffs I would I would buy that too they're the team that you I, I just have no idea oddly enough what's that. Oddly enough, as I tried, because I tried to pick a team to justify who I think could beat them, not necessarily saying they would beat them, but they could. And I really was getting stuck on Miami the most. I, I just feel like maybe it's the, the want for me to see like some story tale, you know, fairy tale thing happen. But like, I, right. I just I feel like the Hawks. No, I don't trust the Raptors. I think the Bulls have gotten right. old and they're not as good defensively anymore. Um, I think the Pacers could win a game or two because of Paul George. The Magic and Celtics, Pistons, Hornets, those teams I think get swept. Um, but, I, man, we're weird with the Heat here. I think that that's that seems so odd to say, but it's it's the one I thought about the most. Yeah, so, like, the Heat, you, I definitely think they would play a role. You know, the the whole revenge, you know, Dwayne Wade, LeBron oh, James man. thing. You know, I, I mean, it would be a great – it's going to be a great series because I think that series is going Tell to Nike happen. Tell Nike to cut the check. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I can't really give you the, you know, the Cavaliers aren't going to be studs because of LeBron's health and then, like, not try to factor in D-Wade's health towards the playoffs. That would just sure. be completely sure. critical of me. So, you know, I don't know. But that that's the team I feel like. If if I had gunned to my head, I would I would probably pick the Miami Heat. But we're going to move on. And really quick, 
you know, it's, it's funny that we're going to do this really quick because it, it's just sort of like a microcosm of of what's should, going on. Should we save? Should we save the Spurs? Should we save them? I mean, we I feel like we need to give them their due diligence, yeah. and we talk so much, we got seven minutes left. Yeah, absolutely. If, you know, I think you're right. I think we are going to give the Spurs their fair due and and just give them their own segment next week because I feel like it would be sort of ironic if we just really quickly like gloss over like how underrated they've been all season and then we yeah, gloss can't. over it towards the end. I agree. We're going to save the Spurs for next week. We're going to give yes. you an exclusive, nice segment for Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich, and all of the wonderful Spurs. So do you have any more thoughts on the Eastern Conference? Because otherwise we're just going to move on to the end of our show with the fantasy segment here. I'm ready for the fantasy segment. Sign me up. All right. All right. Fantasy stud and scrub of the week. We do this every single week for you. We are going to give you the best and worst players in fantasy basketball. Andy Flint, who is your fantasy stud? I mean, stand up. Will the thrill Barton. Been good all season, averaging right around 17 points per game. Uh, This past week, he was exceptionally good, posting 21 points, 31 points, 29 points, respectively. He has a stud, an animal, and he's fun to watch, so shout out to him. Yeah, potential sixth man of the year, Will Barton, and and also uh, played an integral role in the uh, Denver comeback against Golden State last night. And it was actually funny because I was watching it, and I was thinking, wow, Moody is really moving around well. He's like the best player on this team because I had it on mute and I didn't even realize, oh, that's Will, that's Will Barton scoring 30 points for them because apparently that's the best player on the Denver Nuggets now, which probably says something about the Denver Nuggets. My yes. fantasy stud is uh, a, one of the guys that I'm a big fan of in the preseason who really hasn't shown much until now, Chris Middleton of the Milwaukee Bucks. I really thought he was going to have a come-out season, and this week he showed a little bit. Back-to-back 30-point games. You know, he's still got a long way to go, and so did the Milwaukee Bucks, but it was it was a nice fantasy week for somebody that you probably spent a higher pick on than his production thus far. Andy, who did Andy he cross Clint. somebody over to? Was it LeBron James yeah, that he crossed over bad? Oh. No, I think it was it was Kevin Durant. We were talking about that last week it at was, the end of the show. Yes. Yeah. That is what it was it during was, the show. Yep, it was Kevin Durant. Old Kevin Durant got his ankles broken by Chris Middleton. Eh, I'm sure he didn't really cry about it, considering they won like 131 to 123. Andy Flint, your fantasy scrub. Uh, I think this is the second time I've had to put him on the wall. He's going to join Victor Oladipo uh, as my repeat offender. I'm looking at you, Cal Corver. Um, I see a lot, of, a lot of here's some game logs: three points, two points, two points, zero points. Um, not hitting the three ball. Uh, 0 for 10 in one game. So, yeah, yeah, no bueno. So, actually, he really doesn't have to join Victor Oladipo because he has his own club because he is the first consecutive fantasy scrum by both of us. I also went with Uh, Kyle Corver, who is on my fantasy team, so I know all about your struggles. He went, uh, I think he had one field goal in 22 attempts for the first two (laughs) two games this week. And then today, uh, his best, best day from the field this week with a nice four of 11 day. Thanks a lot, Kyle Corver. It's nice to know that you oh, have a score in double digits still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's been, from deep in two games. It, it's, it's been a struggle for Kyle Corver this season, and I don't really know why because it, it seems like he's getting a, a lot of the same shots, but I think defenses are really starting to key in on him because they really know that he is what makes the Hawks kind of go. So, I, I think he's just not used to seeing so much defensive attention. He should just maybe be one of those guys that just shoots open shots. 
which is nice. I guess we would all like to shoot open shots if we could, but sometimes you just got to make them. All right, Andy Flint, I am also torn because I think I am going to switch my picks of who we're going to watch for next week. I came in here thinking, all right, let's watch the Chicago Bulls. I want to know what's going on with Chicago. But the more we talk during the segment, we're watching some Miami Heat basketball. I want to see what's going on with D-Wade and the crew. Can they challenge the Cavaliers? And what is going on in Miami? Hassan Whiteside, are you still a head case? answer is yes. I'm pretty sure. I don't need a week of basketball to prove that. But we are going to end the show today um, like we always do, and we are going to take you around the trip of the NBA next Sunday from 6.30 to 7, back at our usual time. But we will end like we always do with the great philosopher, Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is like last call at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.